This morning is really just my heart poured out for you and uh, for our church, honestly. In fact, for, for many years, God's put this burden on my heart, and it just, it lives inside me, and it kind of drives pretty much everything that I do, and I believe that it's, it's what helps me lead our church better. And I think at some level, it's a change in perspective for some people, a paradigm shift in a little bit of ways. Uh, it may be quite different, but it's our calling and a redefining of church this morning. So I hope you can go on this journey with me just a little bit, because somewhere back in history, church went from being a group on a mission to spread a message to a group that was more concerned with a membership. In fact, uh, God's design for our church has always been outward-focused and mission-minded and others-centered, but at some level, uh, it's changed a little bit, at least the Christian church for sure, yet God's call is our call to to be the church. When Jesus designed the church, it wasn't a building. It was a people group on a mission to spread a message. He's called us to be the church. We are the church. So this morning, uh, we're going to start a sermon series today called Be. And it's three parts. And uh, here are the parts. Be the mission. That's today. Be the message next week. And be the movement the following week. And I've been praying, been praying to the Holy Spirit to just push our church further and further into the mission field. So I hope you can go on this journey with me of a new perspective, a different paradigm shift, and I hope it challenges you to be the church. So let's pray, and we're going to dive right in. Heavenly Father, this morning, uh, I'm uh, encouraged by the energy in this room. It's just uplifting and positive, and it's because your presence is here. And so God, as we open your word, may you challenge our hearts, may you challenge our church, may you push us more and more to be the church and be on your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. So forever ago, since you started to go to church, no matter if you grew up Seventh-day Adventist, if you grew up Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, if, if, if you've ever been to church, it's always been kind of the same thing. You get up, you put on your, your Sabbath best, um, you have the, the family arguments about getting your shoes on and we're going to be late. That's not just my family, right? It's every family. I know it's every family, yep. And you finally get out the door, and you come to do church. That's what we do. We do church. Uh, it's, it is, it's one, the first, the only time that you come to church a week, maybe you go to prayer meeting, and it's two times. It's the time in the week where um, you sing songs that you may or may not know. Um, it's the time where you give money, and you're not really sure where it goes, but you think it's got good things, so you do it anyway. And it's the time when you listen to a sermon you feel like you've heard a hundred times before, right? Uh, the, the culture of church has always been something that you do, and if you don't do church, then you feel guilty. It's funny, um, all this happens all the time. If I go to Costco or Publix, and you know this just as well as I do, if you go to Costco or Publix, you are going to see another Seventh-day Adventist there, am I right? It happens all the time. For me, it happens all the time where someone will say, hey, Pastor Matt, and I'll say, hey, hey, I don't know who you are. <laughs> Just a couple weeks ago, and this happens regularly, um, I was at Costco, and, and a nice lady came up to me, and she said, hey, Pastor Matt, and I said, well, hi, nice to meet you. And she said, I'm actually a member at Forest Lake. And I said, oh, have we met before? And, and she said, no. Well, I haven't been to church in a long time, and you could see the guilt just rushing over her. And I'm like, I don't care if you. I think it's fine. Like you're okay. But she, you know, started making reasons and excuses. Yeah, well, ever since COVID, and, and then I've been busy, and then I got in the ha- whatever. You know how it is. 
And we have this guilt if we don't ever show up to church to do church because we feel like we've lost our eternal salvation. Am I right? You feel that way. Maybe some of you don't. I don't know. It's interesting, though, how the culture of church has really changed over time to what it's become. And I don't mean just the, the, the Forest Lake Church. I don't even just mean the Adventist Church. I mean the global Christian church. And in order to change church culture, you've got to go back to the beginning of church to see what it was like then. And although some may argue that the real beginning of church was in Moses' time where you had this massive group of God's called people moving through the desert together, I like to see the beginning of church as the beginning in the New Testament church right in the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. It's just raw and real Christianity that's unadulterated by any kind of tradition or history or humanness. It's just the movement of God's people where God is so connected to that group. It's just powerful. And this is the book of Acts in a nutshell. Go on the journey with me. Jesus is with his disciples. He's telling them that they're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then he leaves. He goes up to heaven in a cloud. And so all the disciples are looking around and they're thinking, well, now what? What now? You're gone. So they think, what do we do? They go back to Jerusalem. They go to a room, and they all get together, and they start to pray. Uh, A little while later, they're back in the same room, and they're praying again. This is when the Holy Spirit comes down, the tongues of fire story, and empowers them to preach the gospel about God's forgiveness and his grace to everybody, no matter what. So they go out, and they start preaching the gospel. The Bible says about 3,000 people were baptized that day. day. That's ridiculous. 3,000 people, and it just continues. The Bible says the Lord continued to add to their number every day. And as we think about that church, we think, wow, that must be a mega church. I wonder how many services they had. Boy, their pastor must be really good. I bet they've got a really good kids program over there, and I bet their facilities are top-notch. But that's not at all what the church looked like. They didn't go and build a bigger building. They didn't get together and say, well, should we have a service where you pass the microphone during prayer time, or do we just have one collective grouped prayer together? Do we think about expansion, or what do we— No, they didn't do that at all. What they did was they went out and they served the community. It's crazy. Peter and John, they go outside. They see this guy. He's crippled. And they walk up to him and they say, hey bud, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And he stands up and he walks. People from all over flock to the disciples because they realize that there's power working in humans and they want some of that. They begin to listen to what the disciples are sharing. The Jewish leaders, they can't handle it. They don't like it at all. And so they bring Peter and John in and they start to question them and interrogate them. And they say, hey, what are you doing? And Peter and John sees this opportunity, and so they preach the gospel to these Jewish leaders. And the Bible says that the Jewish leaders realized that these men had been with Jesus. They could just see it. And the church, that's the believers, that's the followers, that's the people. They came together for the sake of the mission. They gave all their possessions for the sake of the mission. They said, what do you need? Do you need money? Take my money so the mission can move forward. You need food? Here's some food. You need a car? Take my car because the mission is the most important thing as they drove the mission forward. Then the apostles, they keep going back out to the community and healing people. And we get this passage in Acts chapter 5 that talks about what their worship service looked like. It's pretty cool. We get a look into the New Testament church, a church service, and you get to see what it looks like. Acts chapter 5, 
If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And if you're new here and you didn't get a Bible or you don't have one, there should be a blue Bible in front of you or behind you, um, and you can follow along on page 774, and you'll read the same words that I'm reading with you. It's a really cool look, a glimpse at a New Testament worship service to see what it really looked like then. Acts chapter 5, right there in verse 15 If you've got your Bibles, you can uh, turn there. If you didn't, you can just listen out loud as I read out loud. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. I'll give you a second to turn there, and then we'll read together. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Okay, we're ready. Let's go. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 says this. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. It's this back porch of the temple. It's this, it's this little back room, this little area off to the side. Verse 13, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible look. Did the believers meet together? You better believe they did. But what was their worship service like? Do you think they printed a bulletin? Do you think they had a traditional order of service? Did the band get up front and lead songs? Do you think, and this is the million dollar question, do you think they had praise songs or hymns? Did somebody even get up and preach? I guess we'll never really know because we weren't there. But here's how I imagine this. I imagine it like this. The group gets together in this little porch, this back area of the, of the temple, and they get in this big circle. Maybe they're holding hands. Maybe they're just sitting on the floor, crisscross applesauce. I don't know what it was like. They're just sitting there, and I think it's this circle, and they're just looking around the room, and there's not a leader. There's not someone that's saying, okay, let's begin. It's 9.30. They just said, hey, gather at Solomon's Colonnade. We're getting together. And they're looking around the room, and they see this one guy over in the corner, and he's got this huge smile on his face. It's ear to ear. And everyone just keeps looking at him like, what's, what's going on with this guy? And finally they say, okay, tell us what's going on. And he says, I'm so glad that you asked. I didn't think anyone would ever ask. Let me tell you what's been happening. This last week, I met with my neighbor. I've been developing this friendship and relationship with them. And they, they started asking me questions about who God is. And I told them about Jesus and they accepted him as their savior. Isn't this so exciting? Somebody on the other side says, let me tell my story. Let me tell my story. See, this, this coworker of mine, she's been asking questions too. And I talked to her about Jesus too, and somebody else, and they keep going and going and going as they share together, and there's so much passion and excitement and Holy Spirit presence that somebody says, let's sing a song together, and so they worship together in song. Somebody says, let me read a Bible verse. This is so powerful to me, and this worship service is just filled with passion and spirit and energy, and the crazy thing is is that what's happening on the inside trickles to the outside too. This church worship service is encouraging and it's empowering for one reason, and that is to go outside and share that Jesus with somebody else. 
Listen, the people, the, 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 the people that were around there, if the Bible says they didn't dare join. Do you think they were scared? The Bible says they didn't join even though they were highly regarded. So they had high esteem for what was happening inside, but they thought, this is holy ground. The presence of God is in there. I don't know if I should go in there. Yet the Bible says they continue to be adding daily those people. It's crazy because uh, the people on the outside knew what was happening on the inside. So much so that they brought their sick, their crippled, they jockeyed for position in the parking lot and on the sidewalk and in the front door. They wanted to get their, their sick family members in the place so that when the people inside would come outside, even if their shadows crossed the body, it would be healed. That's ridiculous. That's so much power in the worship service that what happens on the outside is life-changing for somebody else. And God continued to increase their numbers, and the church grew rapidly as people wanted to be a part of this movement. That's the culture of the New Testament church, the original design that Christ made. So how did it change? How did we get from that culture of church to our current church culture, and I don't mean Forest Lake necessarily, but just all church culture. Well, the early church was all serving together equally on the same level. Everybody's the same, moving forward on the mission. And then you get the fourth century, and all of a sudden you get Constantine, who's this Roman emperor, and he decides to join Christianity, which makes way for Theodosius the Great, the last emperor that ruled both, the, the both halves of the, of the Roman Empire. And he makes, he declares Christianity the only legitimate imperial religion. And what happens is clergy become professionalized. No longer is everyone on the same level, on the same mission. Now you have professionals that went to school, that got a degree, that have a master's, an MDiv diploma. And you have elevated clergy and you have lower laity. It became a professional's job to be on the mission. And the culture and concept of church changed because of consumers and professionals. I mean, you can see this all over the place. Have you ever thought about the layout of a church? It speaks loudly to this change. I mean, here, here's a floor plan. That's a very similar floor plan. You could pretty much pick out the majority of churches in the world and you'll see this. On this left-hand side, you see the platform, the rostrum. You've got a couple of chairs up there, you got a drum kit over there, and then you have all the chairs or pews in the rest of the area. Have you seen this before? You're literally sitting in it right now. It's the majority of churches. But what this does is, you go to the next slide, you have 10% that are active leading and serving, and 90% that are inactive and observing what's happening. This is what church looks like. You know, I've seen, I've been to worship services where they're set up a little differently. They're set up in the round. You've heard this before. You've got all the different chairs in a circle and the stages in the middle. I, I went to a church up in Michigan when I was in seminary, set up massive church, stage in the middle, all the chairs in a round, and it feels good. It's still the same thing, 10% serving and leading, 90% sitting and observing. Doesn't matter the shape, but what it's created is a consumer church. We've set up our church for a handful of people to serve and to lead and to whatever, and we've had the rest are there to observe. But it's not for the clergy or the pastors or the ministers to be the only ones serving and leading. That's not what the church is called for. 
You know what, if my job didn't exist, I would be so happy. If the church as a whole moved on the mission of God and there were no professional clergy and my role didn't exist, it would be the most beautiful blessing ever because God's mission would be moving so fast. In fact, I would love that and I would find another profession that moves the mission forward. But that's the goal, right? For everyone to be moving forward on the mission. Marcus Barth, he's a, he's a Swiss theologian. He writes uh, a commentary on the book of Ephesians and he says, the whole church is the clergy appointed by God for a ministry to and for the world. It's everybody, not if you've got a degree or not. And we read this last week in Peter, 1 Peter, it says this. You've heard this before. You are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. That means we're all priests. We're on that same level. A holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the calling for each and every one of us to be serving on the mission. You can summarize it by this. I'll put it on the screen for you. God's calling for the church is not to be consumers, but it's rather to serve the community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you know him, you know him. He once said this. He said, the church is only the church when it exists for others. That's what the church is for to serve somebody else, but the way we do church still revolves around a building and a worship service and a program, yet the church is not a building. The church is not a worship service. It's not a program. It's men and women on the mission to share the story of Jesus with somebody else. So how do you change the culture of church? How do you change the paradigm? How do you shift the perspective about what church is? About 10 years ago, I got a call um, by the Central California Conference to go be the senior pastor of the Visalia Seventh-day Adventist Church way out in California. Now, nobody wants to go to California. Can I get a witness, anybody? <laughs> but who am I to decide where God's calling is for me? And so Jen and I, we sat and we prayed about it and we said, we don't want to go. And there's a 10% chance that we would go. Uh, but in order to not shut the door down before God uh, pushes us that way, we said, we'll fly out and we'll interview. So we flew out, landed in Fresno, drove to the Visalia Church. It's an awesome church family. I, I knew the pastor that was there before. His name is Chad Stewart. He's now the senior pastor at Spencerville, Maryland. And I talked to him at length about this church. I said, dude, tell me all about this church. I want to hear about it. He told me everything, and he was right. This church was awesome. Uh, on Sabbath morning, we walked in, just visitors. Nobody knew I was a pastor, so it was super incognito. We walked in the door, and we were greeted by this young man named Brad Earls. I still remember his name. He shook my hand. He said, hey, man, good morning. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. And I said, hey, thanks. Tell, tell me about yourself. And he said, well, my name's Brad. He said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty new to this church. I've only been here less than a year, but let me tell you about my friend Jesus. And he tells me this story about how he had met Jesus and how Jesus was in his life. This dude's on fire and they've got him at the front doors of the church. I take another step inside and I meet this other guy. He's a physician. He walks up to me and he says, hey man, uh, I'm, I, my name is so-and-so. I don't remember his name. He's, he was pretty intense. He said, man, I'm sorry I'm late. Normally I get here earlier, but, but see, I'm a doctor and, and what I do is I meet with my patients and, and on Sabbath morning, I invite them to my practice and we have Bible study and then I bring them to church and, and the conversation was a little long today, so we're a little bit late. He's on fire for Jesus and there he is at the front door of the church. 
I walked in and, and uh, somebody came up and they said, hey, let's, let's go to the Sabbath schools. And so I go down the hallway to the children's Sabbath schools, busting at the seams, overflowing, kind of like our Sabbath schools too. And all these little kids are running everywhere. And the, the kindergarten class, they had to split it because there's so many kids that want to be connected to this church. Then I go into the sanctuary, church is about to begin, the worship service, and I, and I go inside and and there's no children there, and I think, what's going on? How come, where are the kids? And then I see that they have a children's church. It's a red flag for me, because I firmly believe that the most powerful opportunity of discipling your kids is worshiping together. And you parents that have your kids here, I know what it's like to get your kids ready. It's awful. <laughs> but you did it anyway, and your kids are here with you. So I look at this, and I say, they have a children's church. I don't know how I feel about this. This is weird. And so I go and talk to the children's pastor and said, hey, tell me, tell me the philosophy and the theory behind having this. And she said, well, we really aren't for it. We're kind of against it. But here's the thing. All the families from the different churches in the area that worship on Sunday or different places, um, the, the families that wanted to come here, they, they wouldn't because they didn't. It was just awkward having their kids here. And so we said, how can we reach those families and make it comfortable for them to come here? And so they said, we'll create a children's church. And then let me tell you about the schools. There were two schools, 20 minutes apart this way and 20 minutes that way, discipling kids. And then there's a church plant. It's called the Ark. And so I said, well, let me go see this church plant. So I go over to the church plant, the Ark. It's, it was worshiping. The, the group was worshiping there. And I walk in the back door, and there's this lady named Stacy. And she said, hey, I'm so glad you're here. This is the Ark. And I said, tell me about the Ark. And she said, well, this is a church plant from the, the Visalia Seventh-day Adventist Church. That church, the Visalia Church, they looked at their city. There's three zip codes where Visalia is. And they said, well, our church is in this zip code. There's a Hispanic Seventh-day Adventist church in that zip code, but there's nothing in this zip code. And they said, let's plant a church there. We've got to get the message out. So they planted this church, the Ark, and it's not the original founders of the church. It's not the wealthy people of the church. It's the new people of the church, the ones that are so on fire for Jesus. In fact, Stacy was one of them. She said, I'm new to this church too. I've only been here about a year. But let me tell you, every Sabbath after we worship together, we go out and we feed homeless people and we go door to door and we knock. In fact, that's why I'm here. It's because somebody knocked on my door and said, hey, you got to come and worship with us. And so she did. And now she's the front door lady. She said, listen, we do so much mission here in our church because we want to reach people. She said, let me tell you about the prayer walking. She said, every Sabbath, there's a group that goes and they walk the city streets down the neighborhoods, praying for the people behind that door and behind that door, for the families, for the marriages, for the finances. They pray for people. There's people that just get in their cars and they drive the neighborhoods of the city so that they can pray over the, they, they rented an airplane to fly over Visalia so that they could pray over the different neighborhoods. They bought 30,000 great controversies, and they didn't mail them out, which oftentimes is done. They said, no, we want a personal touch. And so they've knocked on doors, and they said, hey, this book is life-changing. We want you to have it. I mean, this church is on fire. They have three Bible workers that are constantly hitting the streets, doing Bible studies, connecting with people. This is a church that is on God's mission. And it's his mission, by the way. It's not the church's mission to come to earth to save humanity. It's God's mission, and he allows us to be a part of what he's doing. He's given us the opportunity to be the church. I really just want to be a Chick-fil-A church. <laughs> Have you been to Chick-fil-A before? You Adventists, you vegetarians are squirming in your seats right now, I know. 
Listen, I'm a vegetarian, and if you go to Chick-fil-A, you get their waffle fries. Can I get an amen, somebody? Okay, we got some Chick-fil-A addicts in here today. They have the first or maybe second best lemonade. Publix is right up there with them. And if you ask for a bun and lettuce and tomatoes, mayonnaise and cheese, you get a cheese sandwich for 57 cents. I'm telling you, this is good. Except this new one down here, they, they charge you a little more. Be careful, it's like 250, I don't know, pricey. <laughs> I wanna be a Chick-fil-A church, but not to sell chicken sandwiches, although that'd be a really good outreach opportunity. Truett Cathy, starts Chick-fil-A, and he creates a network of missional churches. Every employee that works for Chick-fil-A realizes they are not there for the job. They're there for the customer. They're there to serve. You go into a Chick-fil-A and there's a warm welcome. Hey, I'm so glad that you were here. Come be with us. We want you to eat chicken at our restaurant. You sit down at a table, somebody smiley comes up to you and gives you an order. You need a refill, you go up and you hand them your cup and they say, oh, let me fill it for you. You say thank you and they say? You need to go to Chick-fil-A more often, I didn't hear it. You say thank you and they say? My pleasure, because it truly is their pleasure to serve you, that's what they're there for. About nine years ago, I went to a Chick-fil-A in Buford, Georgia and uh, my oldest son, Caffrey, got a, a, a meal, a kid's meal. And apparently, when you get the kid's meal, you get a coloring book. And if you want to, you can take the coloring book back to the counter, and you can exchange it for an ice cream cone, which is a no-brainer. Who wants to color? <laughs> so Caffrey, he takes this coloring book, and he goes up to the counter, and we're there with him, and we say, okay, bud, tell, tell the lady what you'd like. And so he hands her this little coloring book, and she says, would you like a, an ice cream cone? And he says, uh-huh. But she doesn't go and give him an ice cream cone. She says, would you like to do the ice cream cone with me? Uh-huh. <laughs> it was terrifying as a parent to watch this stranger take my two-year-old uh, by the hand and lead him back behind the counter where all the people are scurrying about. They're working, getting french fries, pouring drinks, and there's my little, little boy, and he's holding up an ice cream cone, and she's pouring the ice cream in there. She understands that the point of her job is not to just give an ice cream cone. It's to serve the customer. It's always their pleasure. Oh, how I want to be the church. The church that loves to serve others in the community, that's more focused on others than how well the AV team did on any given Sabbath, or if the music was your style, or if the pastor's sermon was any good. I wanna be the church that can't wait till the worship service is over so that you can be knocking on doors and watching the Holy Spirit use you in powerful ways to help somebody else meet Jesus. I wanna be a missional church that's passionately on fire for serving others and sharing Jesus. Paul puts it like this. Here's what he says in Ephesians. He says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. He says, everybody together, top to bottom, all of us have that same calling, which is works of serving others to build up the body of Christ. He's put a passion in your heart for something. He's cultivating something inside you to be on God's mission. See, I have a dream for this church, to be on God's mission in every relationship that you make, whether it's at a park 
or at the gym. I have a dream that every conversation that you have, whether it's with your coworkers or your neighbors, that it's bathed in Holy Spirit presence so that Jesus can be shown through you to them so that you can help people know him better. You're here for us, Lake Church, to serve others. Let's go. We can do this. I want to close with one of my favorite quotes from my, one of my favorite authors, too. It's one that you've heard the first part of, and you've heard it well, but this is the extended version, and I think it's powerful. Here's the part you've heard. It's from the book Ministry of Healing. Ellen White says this. She says, she says, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence, and then he bade them follow me. She says, there is a need of coming close to be people in personal effort. That's, that's one-on-one. If less time were given to sermonizing, amen, somebody, and more time were spent in personal one-on-one ministry, greater results would be seen. The poor are to be relieved, the sick cared for, the sorrowing and bereaved comforted, the ignorant instructed, the inexperienced counseled, were to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. She says, accompanied by the power of persuasion, the power of prayer, the power of the love of God, this work will not, cannot be without fruit. Isn't that powerful? God's called you and me to be the church. And I'm ready to go. (laughs) May God help us be the church and be his servants here in Apopka as we share the love of Jesus with everyone that we meet. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, this morning I'm challenged. I'm challenged to be more and more missional in my own life and in our church's life too. May you push our church to be the church. Give us divine appointments. Show us the how. We know the why. May you Be with us in every step of the way and give us success on your mission. God, we love you and we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.